Guess who's back? Back again. Steph is back. Tell a friend. Steph is back. 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 Uh, 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 da, 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 uh, 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 da, da, da. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. I know this is abnormal for me, but yeah, I had to release a second episode because I know my first episode, I had news and gossip and I had an amazing conversation with Mark Torres, um, the amazing Bronx-based photographer, but I needed to do a recap of all the shows that took place this past week between Raw, NXT, SmackDown, and NXT TakeOver from tonight. So sit back, relax, and listen to this bonus episode I had to hit y'all with. I had to hit y'all with another one. I just couldn't stay away of this new episode of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Okay, so we're going to start our weekly recaps with Raw. And in terms of the women, Raw sort of started with Raw with the Raw Women's Championship match between Asuka and Zelina Vega. And Zelina Vega was preparing for her match backstage, but then her and Asuka almost got into it back. Like, and it was like really crazy. They were getting into it near Gorilla. And then they had a brawl, then they were broken up by referees and stuff. So Vega looked more ready and more fierce, you know, in, in terms of her rematch. And she wore Asuka down with like a made with all of her major technical um strengths and it was really cool to see that on display even at even as we saw it on display at clash of champions even though she wound up falling to the oscar lock um and clash of champions she wound up getting another rematch and showing more of her technical prowess here but she wound up losing her cool after she almost pinned oscar with a backstabber and then she went to the top rope and then she dived right into oscar's arms and then she tapped out to the oscar lock again so oscar basically retained her champion two nights in a row and but it was so funny because Zelina Vega really had nothing to feel sorry for because she did such a good job in both of her matches and I'm hoping that good that more good things will come from her you know as she's matriculating as a solo competitor now but something that happened that I found really interesting after the match was as she was leaving Andrade came in to fight you know Keith Lee and he was talking and he was basically talking trash as Alina saying that he that she was nothing without him and that basically she was the reason why Angel Garza got injured and why they never made it to the tag title picture in the first place which made me upset and it, and Zelina was kind of looking back at him like she was sad that he was saying that to her but it made me mad because I'm sitting here like first of all Andrade let's be real when you were fighting in NXT and you weren't winning matches and you were being unfocused Zelina was the one who basically straightened you out in your career and helped you to become the NXT champion and helped you to focus and all of the above. But you want to talk about how she needed you? She doesn't need you. Sit down. Like, that just made me so upset. I was just like, how dare you say that? And that made me so upset that I made like a really crass statement that I won't repeat on here. But I was just like, some people just get so high and mighty. You know, and then they tend to forget, you know, where they came from. And it's just so funny that he said that about her. Like, you would be nothing without me. Like, baby, bye. She made you a star. Not the other way around, but okay. Um, <laughs> then 
but then I'll talk more about Andrade later. Um, also with the women, you had um, the the Mysterio family drama with Aaliyah and Jerry Lawler had his King's Court where he was, which is basically low key giving me Maury and Jerry Springer vibes at this point. And the Mysterio family were basically talking about how bad of how bad of a person that Seth Rollins is since he's been torturing them. And then Aaliyah was talking about how she felt like um, how she basically felt like um seth rollins was a terrible person too but then seth came on the screen and revealed text messages but um sent between Aaliyah and murphy where she had wished him a happy birthday and she was really angry about it so she stormed off before ray could even stop her and ask any questions about what's going on and it was just kind of and then as that was going on dominic had attacked murphy and stuff but then it was just so sad because as towards like towards the middle of it you know as murphy was trying to basically like cool things down dominic was beating up on him saying you know you need to stay away from my sister and all the other stuff because he just doesn't trust him at this point and who honestly would but as they fought in a match Aaliyah was trying to beg you know dominic to stay away from him and stop beating him up and all of that and then he wound up losing his match to murphy because of that distraction by Aaliyah. so it's looking like they might be pushing the whole Aaliyah murphy storyline thing which um wouldn't be that much of a bad thing to me because I know a lot of people on social media are complaining because of the age difference or whatnot but at the same time if she's 19 years old and that technically makes her more of an adult then and if they've given their permission for this to happen then maybe it's not that big of a deal um and if they're wanting to do a romantic storyline, then I think that would be cool. But I'm, what I'm wondering in the storyline is if Murphy is just going to use his use his feelings or whatever, or like use her feelings for him to sort of infiltrate the Mysterio family on behalf of Seth, or is he's going to use the sort of romance that's bubbling between them in order to basically get free from Seth and his influence and you know stand on his own two feet so that's going to be interesting and that's um and also with the women we had a tag team match between dana brooke and mandy rose who've both been traded to raw relatively early against natalia and lana and what's so sad is with natalia and lana it's like they've been put together as this comedy act um, but they're not really like a comedy act because they're not like ha ha funny, but they're basically talking about, you know, how they, you know, should be given more opportunities at the women's tag team title simply because of their TikTok relevance. And it's so crazy because TikTok does not a champion make. And I think I've said that before, but it bears repeating TikTok and social media does not a champion make and they really need to understand that but their outfits are really cute though with their whole pack pink and black you know heart foundation kind of deal going on um so they were basically they were basically like 
demanding the championships be given to them because Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax didn't defend their titles at Clash of Champions like they were supposed to due to health reasons. But then Adam Pearce came out and told them that the titles would not be vacated, but a future, but the team could earn a future shot by facing the new members of Raw, which was Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. And Mandy Rose actually came out in an outfit that was designed to pay tribute to Trish Stratus in one of her earlier pink and black outfits that she had, you know, when she first started as a valet for TNA. That's um, that's A-Train and Test, for those who may or may not know. And they came out and had like a pretty good showing and... Dana Brooke basically took Natalia out of the equation and Mandy Rose hit the bicycle knee or um, as my boyfriend would call it, the V trigger on um, Lana for the win. And then Mandy Rose warned that the WWE Women's Tag Team Champ, she warned the champions that her and Brooke were looking, were after the gold and looking for a fight. So this was pretty good for them. And this is a fresh start for Mandy Rose since she's been moved from SmackDown away from her boyfriend. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Otis, but I think it's a fresh start for her you know with a new partner and everything so I think it's gonna be cool so that's pretty much all that happened with the women and Raw initially started with um Randy Orton giving warnings to Drew McIntyre and the WWE OGs so at Clash of Champions Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton had their WWE Championship Ambulance match and that match wound up ending with um the other ogs that randy orton had injured you know along the way towards his match with drew mcintyre and they basically came back and got some vengeance upon him for that match it was rick flair big show christian and Shawn michaels and all four of these um ogs came out to introduce drew mcintyre and mcintyre was talking about how happy you know he was to stand out to basically stand with these men that he's you know looked up to for so very long and they basically put him over and basically said, you know, thank and basically thank Drew McIntyre for letting him get revenge on him. But Randy Orton, being the party pooper he is, decided to appear on the Titan Tron and tell everybody in the ring that they would pay for crossing him, you know, before he supposedly left the building or whatever. But then um, Drew McIntyre put out an open challenge to anyone in WWE who has not yet fought him for the WWE Championship later on that night. So um, that's kind of how the show started. And it sort of went towards the OGs, you know, being in the back playing a game of poker, I guess. I'm not really up on card games like that, but they had, you know, gambling chips or whatever. So I'm assuming it's poker. So they were playing in the back and just celebrating in the Legends Lounge or whatever. And they kept popping in it every now and again on them. And somebody on Twitter basically you know tweeted and said you know the only thing that they're missing are the acolytes that's ron simmons and john bradshaw layfield and i thought that was really um cool to say because every time you know in the 90s you saw somebody in the back playing cards you always more than likely saw farouk ron simmons and you always saw bradshaw but you know all the legends can't be in there so <laughs> that's um so that was a cool you know noticeable thing that someone did on Twitter. Shout out to that person. Then also with the men, you had Andrade versus Keith Lee. And after Andrade ran his mouth on Zelina Vega because, you know, he's trash. Um, <laughs> um, he issued an open challenge and then Keith Lee answered and did not care about any of the drama at all. He basically fought off um, El Idolo and gave him a spirit bomb for him to lose the match. And this is where my boyfriend kind of felt like Andrade um, 
Andrade's possible push towards anything or any momentum that he may have had was basically flushed down the toilet. And that maybe he could serve, you know, Raw as a Dolph Ziggler type of character where people will fight him in order to get over. Well, he would put somebody over. And that may be true, but I feel like Andrade hasn't really been on WWE that long in order to be placed in that role. So maybe just maybe this is just him getting some comeuppance for talking trash about Zelina Vega. Um, at the expense of some new person, you know, in the form of Keith Lee, who's just, you know, finding his way um, on the main roster. So I choose to believe that maybe Andrade could still, you know, have something to go towards, you know, in terms of maybe being a mid-card status wrestler. But at the same time, as far as like a giant push is concerned towards a bigger title like the world, like the WWE Championship, I just don't see it happening right now. But I won't say it's completely over for him. But you can't expect to have good things happen to you when you decide to pos to railroad somebody who created your career as we as it stands. So he deserved it anyway. <laughs> um, I did also just touch on Seth Rollins sort of driving a wedge between the Mysterio family with the whole Aaliyah and Murphy text message thing. So I really won't talk too much about that now, except for the fact that I'm low-key getting a little bit tired of Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio's storyline. It's, begin it's beginning to get a little bit long in the tooth. Um, even though the Aaliyah and Murphy storyline is really interesting, it's just the fact that I just feel like they've been feuding ever since, almost ever since the pandemic started. And uh, I'm getting a little bit tired of it. And I don't like being a negative Nancy at all, but it, I, I'm just a little bit tired of it. But like I said, I do like the whole Murphy and Aaliyah storyline. It's very interesting. So then we have Aleister Black versus Kevin Owens. Now, Aleister Black called Kevin Owens a sham and said that he created a false image of himself as a good man. And he promised to make Kevin Owens pay for his role in Aleister Black's injury on his eye. And then as the as the match was set to begin with their interests and stuff, Aleister Black came out and basically beat him, beat Kevin Owens up. And he came out to new music. And it made me sad because the music that... Alistair Black had just sounded really cool like it was just like that hard rock that hits you on the side of the head <laughs> like death metal type of thing and this his new music just wasn't good and I'm just like come on guys uh but either way this match was really good it's like neither of neither of them wanted to lose they just kept countering each other over and over again and then there was a point where Alistair Black got into an argument with the referee and then he accidentally hit him after the referee tried to pull him off of Kevin Owens but then he then the referee called for a disqualification and then afterward Kevin Owens hit Alistair Black with a stunner so Kevin Owens won this match by DQ so I'm pretty sure this um storyline isn't going to be over at a certain point especially with Hell in a Cell coming up so it might be possible that they might either fight in a regular match or they might or they could fight in Hell in a Cell just to you know not have any distractions or whatever but we'll see then we had a 24-7 championship um 
match between our truth akira tozawa and drew gulak and akira tozawa gave our truth a message that he had been eaten by the shark which was really funny a few weeks ago and he handed his black belt to our truth but it was actually a distraction to allow um to allow drew gulak to take out um our truth to win the title but then but then drew basically wound up getting rolled up by r-truth again to get the championship back and then they wrestled in a triple threat match in the ring and then surprisingly you know it was a back and forth fight between them all but then truth took out both men and then pinned drew gulak after hitting him with an aa like his hero john cena to retain the title so it's so funny that the 24 um seven championship has turned out to be one of the most entertaining parts of raw that's not that wasn't something that i was expecting last year and our truth is a huge part of it like he like when you think of a 24 7 championship you think of our truth now and they're just synonymous with each other and it's to the point now where he's actually where he's actually had 40 reigns with this title and what's so funny is is the fact that that's the most reigns that anybody's had with a wwe title at this stage or in the modern era and and it's just really cool to see, you know, what he's turned it into. And the other superstars have done good things with it, but none, you know, our truth deserves all the credit that he, you know, has for being a kooky 24-7 champion. So that was really cool. Then, of course, I did touch on Dominic Mysterio fighting Murphy in a match and how dominic got distracted with arguing with his sister about the whole you know romance angle thing and then he got distracted and then he and then murphy rolled dominic up for three and murphy wound up winning the match and then dominic wound up trying to beat him up with a kendo stick but then murphy ran off to avoid it and Aaliyah wound up slapping dominic in the face to basically, you know, prove how how upset, you know, she was at him. So this is just getting kind of messy. Then we had the Hurt Business versus Apollo Crews, Ricochet, and Mustafa Ali, who is now returned to the main roster on Raw. And, of course, you can never go wrong with the Hurt Business. But lately, Cedric Alexander has been missing. He was missing at Clash of Champions and he was missing on Raw. And that made me kind of upset. Like, where is he at? But... The Hurt Business has been bullying people backstage. So they bullied a man at catering. But then Mustafa Ali ran into the group near the locker room and got into an argument. And he was backed up by Apollo Crews and Ricochet. So now we have another group of, but basically another set of cruiserweights in a, in a whole collective like Apollo Ricochet and Cedric was before you know Cedric turned heel and joined the her business. So MVP told Apollo Cruz that this had to end because he'll never stop the her business or take away the United States Championship away from Bobby Lashley. So they all brought a big fight, and towards the end, the ring was clear for Ali to hit a tornado DDT into a 450 splash for the win over MVP. So MVP put over Mustafa Ali and I was really happy to see him get this win on television. So this was cool. Um, here's hoping that later on they'll give them a longer match. But honestly, I just want more from Mustafa Ali because I really feel like he could have been able to do more if he hadn't have gotten injured last year 
around the time Kofi Mania was getting started because Kofi wound up taking his place once he had gotten injured. And that's how Kofi Mania wound up getting started and being what it was. But had Mustafa Ali not been injured, then it could have been Ali Mania, you know? So it's just like, I kind of, ever since then, I've always wondered what else, you know, if there was more for Mustafa Ali to do or if he was meant for a giant push. So hopefully we can explore that a little bit more as the new year progresses um, in terms of wrestling. Then um, we got to the main event, which was Drew McIntyre's open challenge for the WWE Championship. And Dolph Ziggler came out to supposedly accept a challenge before he actually revealed that his challenger was supposed to be the returning Robert Roode. But I still call him Bobby Roode because old habits die hard. So Bobby Roode, the glorious one, came back with a major splash. And I was actually glad to see him because I kind of missed him a little bit. And Bobby Roode basically found an opportunity to batter the left leg of Drew McIntyre. And he smacked his leg a whole lot into the steel post and then locked in a figure four, a, a figure four leg lock. And... Drew McIntyre was persevering, you know, as he does, and he landed a devastating future shot in DDT, but then Rude wound up kicking out of that. But then Ziggler also gave Bobby Rude another opening um, to allow him to hit McIntyre with a glorious DDT, but then Drew McIntyre kicked out of that. And basically, he had to pull a Claymore out of his soul and basically um, pinned him for the one, two, three, and Drew McIntyre retained the title. But it was still good to see Bobby Roode, you know, fighting him. So after that match happened, um, they showed the OGs, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, Christian, and Big Show, you know, playing cards. But then they showed this mysterious looking janitor person with goggles on, you know, going back there to possibly clean up or whatever. But as it turns out, it was revealed to be Randy Orton. And then he cut the lights out and took and took a chair and beat the crap out of all of the OGs. And then once the light came back on, he they wound up laying everywhere. And he wound up disguising himself and telling the referees that they went that that whoever attacked him went that way. And he pointed them in the wrong direction and wound up walking away. And that's how Raw ended. Now, I'm pretty sure that this might lead to a, a Hell in a Cell match between Drew and... Um, randy for the championship at this stage because i know drew isn't going to take too kindly to randy orton attacking the ogs like that so they're going to continue to fight and you know it's going to be good if they do fight in hell in the cell but i'm also interested in seeing drew possibly fight another person you know kind of like he did with this open challenge you know and stuff and maybe he'll keep the open challenge thing going you know every week you know until hell in the cell rolls around and then hopefully after Hell in the Cell, he won't have to fight Randy Orton anymore and just get a new um, opponent with a new feud and make it fresh. So that's all that happened on Raw. And so now we're going to go to NXT. Okay, so now we're going to recap NXT. NXT started this week with a match between Shotzi Blackheart and Dakota Kai. Um, Dakota Kai came out with Raquel Gonzalez, her enforcer, dressed in all red, you know, from top to bottom, looking fierce and stuff. And they basically started with um, rolling pinup combinations on each other to sort of get a quick um, 
fall and get into each other's head or whatever but you know that didn't work out and the match kept going um Shotzi Blackheart showed a lot of her prowess here you know showing a lot of her inspirations in terms of um different moves that she was seeing that would that were done by legends like Jeff Hardy and Lita uh, with Team Extreme and stuff and she used a quick roll-up to try to get a two count before she wound up grounding um Dakota Kai with a unique submission and I always enjoy watching Shotzi Blackheart because she has a lot of she has her offense is like a mixture of um hit of course strikes and everything but along with striking there's lots of submissions in there too and a lots of crazy moves too and that actually showed itself later on in the match um dakota kai was trying to hit her with the best that she had and then shotzi blackheart hit an underhook suplex to a, into a bridge for a two count and then of course raquel gonzalez tried to assert herself um, by giving words of encouragement to Dakota Kai. And it seemed to work because she rebounded with a double stop and a slam for a near fall. And then they took the fight onto the apron and Shotzi hit sliced bread number two on the apron. And it was really scary because it looked as if when Blackheart hit that move, she hit her head on the apron. But she was one of the first people to actually get up on her feet in the match, which surprised me because that's fall looked really nasty like she like she really could have hurt herself but she wound up getting back up and you know gaining the momentum but then um Raquel Gonzalez tripped her up but then Rhea Ripley came out to take down you know Raquel Gonzalez because of course they have a beef going on um and drove her into the steel steps and then Dakota Kai set set up Shotzi for her finisher but then she missed and she was able to kick out of a roll up she was unable to kick out of the roll up and then Shotzi rolled out of the ring and you know celebrated after she won her match and avoided um Raquel at the same time so it was good to see Shotzi Blackheart get this win especially after she wasn't able to get a chance to become the number one contender to face Io Shirai at takeover this um on takeover so this was really good like i really enjoyed this match and i hope that later on down the road we'll see a match between rhea ripley and um raquel gonzalez you know in terms of them going at each other so that's gonna be really cool also with the women we had a singles match between Caden Carter and Zia Lee and of course Caden Carter came out there with Casey Kanzara her best friend and her tag team partner and Casey was there basically just being her support system as she faced Zia Lee who's um trying to assert herself a whole lot more and they had quick takedowns and counters before coming to a stalemate but then Caden scored the fist the, scored like a really big hit with a drop kick in the, from the middle rope but then Zia Lee quickly took her down and then hit her with a bunch of vicious strikes and then they began exchanging more pinning combinations but then Caden Carter was able to get the victory with a sunset flip and this is where the story got kind of interesting Caden offered Zaya Lee her hand but then Zaya was like you know no I'm not gonna take it and then she shoved her to the mat and then walked away so now we're seeing for the first time shades of a heel turn for Zaya Lee because she's getting sick and tired of losing you know to people now and I think Casey Kanzara got a little bit upset with her, you know, wondering what her deal was and everything. So this is going to be interesting. And I'm also interested in seeing Team KC um, go towards the um, women's tag team championship at some point because they are a really credible tag team. They keep getting better and better each week with their um, 
with their what's the word I'm looking for with their continuity as a tag team and their chemistry so that's going to be really cool and then um the main event was basically the power couple in the form of a mixed tag with Johnny Gargano and his wife Candice LeRae versus the NXT Women's Champion Io Shirai and the NXT North American Champion Damian Priest. So basically you had these opponents facing each other in a tag team match because of course they're fighting a takeover. So um Priest and Shirai went right after Gargano and the referee was forced to wait until things had calmed down before he called for the match to begin and johnny wrestling was definitely you know trying to hit a stick and move technique but then the north american champion was just too powerful and hit him with a boot to the face and several clubbing b- blows in the corner which is something that i thought was really interesting you have johnny gargano who's more of a technical wrestler um but then you have damian priest who can get technical but he more but he more so depends on his power and his height more than anything and that was a difference of styles there then io shirai you know basically asked for a tag and she and candace array were able to exchange a couple of words before they began punching one another and then um Candice Array countered with a German suplex and rolled her up for a two count. But then um, Priest and Io Shirai performed a really cool move where she stood on his shoulders and he ran to throw her onto the Garganos at ringside. And that was really cool. And she and then we returned from the commercial break to see Candice in control after she counted a 619 during the commercial. Shout out to Rey Mysterio. And... Then Io Shirai punched Gargano off of the apron before Candice LeRae dropped her on her face. And then she avoided a moon, Io avoided a moonsault and then hit a backbreaker. And then Johnny Gargano wound up saving Candice, but ended up taking Shirai's moonsault himself. And then Priest tagged in, but then Candice LeRae hit him with a low blow from behind while the referee was distracted. And then Johnny Gargano hit hit um damian priest with a ddt for the win and this match and um nxt sort of ended with them sort of taking both of those titles from the both of them and you know showing themselves off and insinuating the idea that they may be the first married couple to ever hold titles together in terms of the nxt north american title and the nxt women's title but we'll see how sunday goes um and that's pretty much all that happened with the women but then we also had a mysterious woman's voice with this montage with this green screen that kind of puts you in the mind of a security camera on an alien base or something or on an army base or something in a video game and we just don't know who this person with this mystery voice is but they will reveal themselves in nxt takeover so that's going to be cool to witness this revealing of this person also on nxt with the men you had um cameron grimes versus ridge holland and before this we also had an interview with santos escobar and isaiah swerve scott you know as they're fighting each other for the nxt cruiserweight championship and swerve scott was just talking about how he got how he's just sick and tired of him of santos using um legato del fantasma and all kinds of underhanded tricks in order to keep his title so he's coming at him with all the business 
And then they also showed a, a video package for Kyle O'Reilly that talked about how he came into the wrestling business and how he loves working with the Undisputed Era and how Adam Cole is his best friend and how he's ready to prove himself in terms of fighting Finn Balor. Because as he was matriculating through the wrestling um, landscape, Finn Balor always wound up avoiding him, you know, not just avoiding him on purpose, but just wound up getting out of his grasp. And he all and Kyle just talked about how much he always wanted to fight Finn Balor and how it wound up never happening because as Kyle was in NXT, Finn Balor was finding his way in the main roster. So now they're finally back in NXT together and they get to fight each other for the NXT championship at TakeOver and how excited he is for that. Then we saw Cameron Grimes sort of step away from his shack and everything to deliver a promo about how um, his gauntlet match wasn't fair from last week. And he decided to have an invitational series of wrestling bouts and he would and basically he was just ready to show show his prowess and he quickly hit the cave in on one opponent and then his next opponent came stumbling onto the stage because ridge holland had threw him out there like this man is a big dude like he's like imagine a giant football player just throwing a small person across the room somewhere that's basically what happened with ridge holland and ridge took off his jacket and stepped in the ring and then he immediately delivered a headbutt and then the referee called for the bell to get things going and ridge threw Cameron Grimes head over heels and started beating him down to huge blows to the head and the referee was forced to disqualify Holland when he refused to stomp stumping um Cameron Grimes and Cameron is so annoying to the point where you want to see somebody like him get beat up and Ridge Holland basically obliged us in it and I'm just always interested in seeing Ridge Holland because of his rugby background and everything and just how he uses that to his advantage in the ring. And I'm excited to see what, what else comes next from him. Then we had a match between Kushida and Tony Nese. And Kushida had a video package, you know, showing how he's going to become more fierce in the ring and show more of his edge, you know along with showing his family and he has the cutest baby but you know he's just showing more of his edge in the ring now as opposed to just being the nice guy and tony niche you know came out and tried to flex at him but then kushida lit him up with a kick to the head and then tony niece fought back by nailing him in the throat and then hung him up on the top rope but he was able to reverse an irish whip to send tony niece into the ring post and once they got back in the ring um kushida countered a pump handle suplex and began focusing on niece's left arm and he stomped the um and he stomped him a few times before applying the hoverboard lock for the submission victory so this basically gives kushida the advantage for his match against the velveteen dream at takeover and this is going to be a really cool match to see so but i still feel weird about tony Nese sort of being the guy that they sort of bring up to lose to somebody that's getting a rub so i just don't know what's going to come of tony Nese from now on or if he's just on 205 live or what but it just feels weird to see him lose all the time then we had a match with adam cole bebe versus austin theory and adam cole got in the ring after the commercial break and spoke about how people think that the undisputed era has changed since they fulfilled their golden prophecy only to lose all of those titles you know at different points of their at different points of their careers and he claimed that they're the same group you know that won all the titles and the same group that dominated nxt for like three years 
And he called out Austin Theory for talking trash about Kyle O'Reilly and dared him to say the same thing to his face. And he said, and he basically gave Theory the chance to get in the ring or suffer a beating by the entire group. So Austin came out there and got in the ring for a match with Cole. And Cole just taught him a major lesson and basically just beat the crap out of him and hit him with a series of kicks and punches. And he nailed a pump kick to the face and a neck breaker just as he continued to talk trash at Theory. And he just basically beat him up for a one, two, three count. And, um, and that was pretty much it. But I think it's so funny because during that little segment with Kyle O'Reilly, it almost seemed as if the Undisputed Era could very well turn face because of how lovingly Kyle was talking about the Undisputed Era and their brotherhood and everything. But then you had Adam Cole in this match here, you know, kind of healing it up, you know, in terms of teaching Austin Theory a lesson and running his mouth about his friends. So it was kind of interesting to see that. And then also online, there's this, un- this ongoing theory, um, no pun intended, that Adam Cole might be turning on Kyle O'Reilly. And I hope not, because that would break up the Undisputed Era. And I'm not sure I would want them to break up. I sort of want them to just, you know, make be- maybe become a face faction because they're all so collectively funny and goofy as a group, too. And if they're going to be brought up to the main roster, then just do that with them as opposed to just breaking up the group. But, you know, I don't get to decide these things. So <laughs> that pretty much ended. And then we had the um the standoff. I don't want to yeah, the standoff between Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly talking at each other with Shawn Michaels mediating. And this was a really good segment here because you got to hear the both of them, you know, talk to each other and sort of give each other props for how they've evolved as wrestlers. And Finn Balor, you know, congratulated Kyle on earning this opportunity and said he had the utmost respect for him um, as a competitor. And then Shawn Michaels asked Finn Balor what he thought of Kyle O'Reilly. And he said that only somebody who doesn't pay attention will underestimate Kyle O'Reilly. And he knows exactly how good he is in terms of his tag team um, technician work. But even though he said, you know, he was good, he said he wasn't good enough to be champion. And Kyle O'Reilly said that he's a fan of Balor, but he also said that he has a big ego. And then he also said that he would defeat Finn Balor. And then Finn Balor asked if he was going to be a man and do this by himself or bring his Undisputed Era buddies with him. And Kyle said that he would be a man and do it on his own. And so they they remained quiet and civil throughout this um, encounter. But then they wound up, you know not really shaking hands but just sort of sort of looking at each other with a mutual respect for one another and then that's basically where that segment ended so that was interesting to see you know and it was a nice change of pace because usually when it comes to these matches or if it's like a contract signing it usually devolves into a whole brawl and everybody winds up fighting but that didn't wind up happening at all it was just you know two people who really respected one another you know just telling each other like i'm gonna bring my a game you're gonna bring your a game and we'll see what happens at the end so that was really cool and that's pretty much it for what happened on nxt and um nxt takeover is happening sunday so please watch that on the wwe network because i'm pretty sure it's gonna be good and now we're gonna recap smackdown (laughs) 
Okay, so now we're going to recap SmackDown, which was a really good show. Um, in terms of the women, we had the Kevin Owens show take place. And Kevin, on the Kevin Owens show, he um, had Alexa Bliss as his guest. So this is more of a talk show kind of deal on here. So he noticed, he basically told her that he noticed a shift in her attitude recently and said that she wasn't the same sweet Alexa Bliss, you know, that, that came through NXT with him. And she said that she didn't know what he was talking about. And then she started talking in a strange tone and asked him if he wanted to be better. And then he said that she was acting like she had been brainwashed. And she said it was true. And that Bray Wyatt, aka The Fiend, had cleansed her mind of all the lies. And then she um, told Owens to let him in and then all of a sudden you had the crazy fiend noises you know take place with all the red lights and everything and she sort of had this blank look on her face and then all of a sudden you see the fiend show up and he took Owens down with a mandible claw and watched him he sort of choked to death as Alexa Bliss sat in her chair and just watched and just looked and stared at it, you know, just happening like off in the space like she was just in a trance or in a daze. And then after, you know, Kevin Owens had passed out with the mandible claw, you know, Bray Wyatt walked towards Alexa Bliss, you know, as she was just staring blankly at him. And then they held hands with each other and then they, they stood up and then the lights went out and everything with Bray Wyatt laughing. And let me tell you, watching Alexa Bliss sort of transform into this muse for Bray Wyatt, almost kind of like Sister Abigail, but then not really Sister Abigail, is like absolutely amazing like she's doing an excellent job just sort of switching from her regular fabulous alexa bliss self to like this almost trance like harley quinn like character and it's just really cool to see you know and it's intriguing to see where it's gonna go it gave me mad phantom of the opera vibes you know if you've ever seen that play where it's like you have the phantom who's using christine as a muse you know for all of his music and all of the above except it's something completely different and way more twisted than that so we'll see how this goes also with the women we had the revealing of Carmela as the glam girl in the mirror and she was talking about how um when she was dressed as the princess of Staten Island with her unitards and all that other stuff and dancing with R-Truth, she sort of lost herself and lost her way, you know, and blamed the stars for, or not the stars, but blamed the fans for, you know, losing herself and losing focus on what she's supposed to be focused on and that's being you know a dominant woman in the women's division and she came back with all of her shiny clothes and all of her shiny rings and everything and I guess now she's just she's just going to prove that she's better than everyone on the main roster so it was cool to see how they revealed you know her to be the untouchable one like she wrote in her mirror and everything and her glam was absolutely amazing and I wasn't too disappointed to find out that it was her because I know she hadn't been on tv in a long time so I was glad to see her and something that disappointed me was the fact that she actually went on twitter today and talked about this and talked about the fact that she hadn't been on twitter or on television in five months but yet once she came back she was met with so much negativity and all that other stuff and it's so sad because you go back and then you find a way to sort of reinvent yourself and your character and everything and then people have something negative to say about it but at the end of the day i understand if you may not be feeling it or whatever but at the same same time you know don't trash her as a person and don't you know 
crap on her and all the hard work that she does you know in order to make to possibly make this character work there are a lot of people who are saying they feel like oh it's just another emelina situation where you know they gave her this gimmick but then they reversed it and then turned her back to regular emma and all this other stuff or she's acting like paris hilton or whatever and all this other stuff and give her a chance like you just found out that it was carmella like give the whole thing a chance and just chill guys but you know us as wrestling fans have a tendency to just jump to conclusions and not chill so <laughs> um that was interesting and also with the women we had sasha banks come out and she came out with this beautiful pink um and dark blue outfit with her neck brace on and she was talking about how she had basically beat up on on bailey at clash of champions and how she was ready to basically take her on and she challenged bailey for the smackdown women's championship on next week's smackdown which is where the, also the wwe draft is taking place so even though there are a lot of people on social media who were hoping that maybe they were going to stretch it out um stretch that match out all the way to a possibly wrestlemania i think it's kind of impossible for that to happen considering the fact that wrestlemania is like next march and here we are in october so um of course they have to make the draft episode of smackdown really big so what else can make it you know twice as big if you don't have two of the best women who've carried the women's division almost all this time since the pandemic happened you know fighting a match with with the main women's title there i'm excited for it because i'm ready for her to get her vengeance on her because I believe Sasha Banks is the GOAT and she is overdue for this amazing push that she's about to go on at the expense of Bailey. Now, I'm pretty sure Bailey's going to try any type of underhanded tactic to try to, you know, lose, to try to make Sasha lose. But honestly, how can you, how, how can Bailey truly win when you're fighting the person who helped you keep your title for so very long? So that's going to be really cool to see. And that's pretty much all that happened with the women. Um, with the men, the show started with Roman Reigns, you know, being crowned the tribal chief after him retaining his universal title um, against Jey Uso, his cousin. And Paul Heyman began his whole segment by saying that he was a little nervous because he talked about how he had known the rain, how he had known the Anawai family, you know, since the day Roman Reigns was born and he knew all this was destined to happen and he said that Roman Reigns is not just a tribal chief or of his family or WWE and that he's the leader of the entire WWE universe but then Roman Reigns took the mic and said that he doesn't want anyone to acknowledge him as a tribal chief until Jay acknowledges him as such and he mentioned how his brother Jimmy came out there and called him the tribal chief and Jay refused to do it because, of course, he was beat up and Jimmy threw in a towel for him and basically saved him, you know, from getting beat up any further. And he said that he didn't want to be called a tribal chief unless Jay did it. So he called Jay out there so he could go out there and bend his knee for him. And Jay came out there and said that he didn't know Roman, you know, as you know, as a man anymore. And he basically said he survived everything Roman Reigns threw him and he never gave up. And he said that the title would be his if Jimmy had never thrown in the towel. But then Roman Reigns, you know, turned around and told him that the fight was the worst night of his life because he didn't want to hurt his cousin. And he claimed that he was doing everything um, he could to help him by putting him in the main event. 
And all he wanted to do, all he wanted Jay to do was to acknowledge him as a tribal chief and none of that would have happened. And then he said that Jay embarrassed the entire family and broke his heart. And I felt like this entire situation was a classic case of gaslighting. And if you do or do not know what gaslighting means, that's basically when you do something to a person and a person calls you out and tries to hold you accountable for it. But then you try to tell them that it didn't happen the way that they remember it. Like that's gaslighting. And this was a classic case of it because you had Roman Reigns, you know, and Jay Uso. You had Jay talking about how he felt like I didn't recognize you anymore and how you basically beat me up to a pulp like you didn't care about me anymore. But then you had Roman trying to flip it on him and say, oh, no, I was hurt. You weren't hurt as much as I was hurting, you know, because I didn't really want to do that to you. I was just trying to help you. But it was just horrible. And then Roman Reigns went on to say that, you know, he was going to offer his cousin another title shot at Hell in the Cell. But, you know, if he does accept the challenge, he'll have the highest stakes in WWE history. And then he hugged him and said, maybe you shouldn't take this challenge because, you know, it will just end up like it did at Clash of Champions, which was another which was just another case of him underestimating his cousin over and over again. And I was just like, this is so horrible. Like if Roman Reigns doesn't just sit down somewhere and stop being just this evil cousin person i don't know what to do because it's like at one case you're saying that you love and you care about your cousin but then the next case you're also saying that you don't care about him and that you would basically be willing to hurt him in order to teach him a lesson and that he's biting off more than he could chew and it was just like man roman reigns is doing such a good acting job like if this entire this entire segment of this story is was just so good and it's just so meaty and it's just so good then you had um after roman reigns left the ring jay uso stayed in the ring and then he was confronted by aj styles and aj styles kept talking all this trash and kept saying hey is the luau over and all this other you know kind of tone deaf stuff that you really shouldn't say to samoans because you know just because they have somewhat of an island culture doesn't mean that they have the same island culture as someone as another group of pacific islanders as well like he was saying lots of tone deaf things that you would expect somebody from georgia to say um in terms of being a country boy from georgia like he is so um sit down aj but then he they started in a match and he kept whooping Jay Uso into the corner. But then he came back at him and hit him with an uppercut and a jumping headbutt. But then AJ avoided him in the corner and scored a two count with a jumping forearm to the face. And he choked Jay Uso against the bottom rope before the referee forced a break. And then Jay Uso countered a Styles Clash by dropping his opponent on his face. And then he sent AJ Styles out of the ring and he tried to attempt a suicide dive. But then AJ Styles met him with a kick to the head. And then he lifted Jay off of the apron to drop him onto the announce table with a vertical suplex. And then when we came back from commercial, AJ Styles hit a back breaker for a two count. And then Uso turned things around with a pop-up neck breaker. And then AJ Styles blocked a superfly splash with his knees and set himself up for the phenomenal forearm. But then Jay Uso kicked his feet out from under him and delivered two kicks to the face before climbing the road for a big splash to get the victory over him. And this was something that I thought that was really cool and kind of surprising in a sense of AJ Styles actually putting 
Jey Uso over because Jey Uso is sort of finding his footing as a singles competitor and to get a win over somebody like AJ Styles who is like a veteran in the business was just really cool it was a really cool rub from him so expect Jey Uso to continue to rise you know from this occasion then we had John Morrison versus Otis and Otis is being antagonized over and over again by the Miz and John Morrison with this lawsuit thing or whatever and then also with the Miz kind of quasi sending Mandy Rose away to Raw to separate them because they feel like ultimately Otis doesn't deserve to be Mr. Money in the Bank this year or whatever so John Morrison came out and he tried to use his speed you know to take over the match and Otis was able to get the upper hand with his power moves and stuff and he took him down with a Vader splash for the win and this match was just really quick um so that's pretty much it for that one and then we had Sheamus versus Shorty G and I and I got irritated with this match because even though we're trying to make Sheamus look strong with his feud with Big E you know who is set to return at some point for them to fight one another because Big E is still angry with Sheamus and they're still going on this Big E singles run push tour I feel like having Shorty G lose to Sheamus for the umpteenth time since like the end of January it's just kind of annoying like if you're gonna put Sheamus up against somebody to look strong against put him up against somebody he hasn't fought and beaten up multiple times in multiple squash matches over the course of the last year um so yeah this match ended relatively quickly Sheamus won whatever it was stupid and I'm just sick of him and I'm sick of WWE sort of underestimating chad gable and his abilities because ever since they broke up um american alpha they haven't really done a lot with him and it's like even when they started something with him with him sort of taking that king's ransom from king corbin or whatever on matt riddle after that they quit using him and it's just like what are y'all doing with this man he's so talented but yet you're just misusing him over and over again so i don't know and then we had a six-man tag team match between king corbin shinsuke nakamura and cesaro the smackdown tag team champions and matt riddle lince dorado and grand metalik and this sort of fed into the storyline of lucha house party breaking up because kalisto you know wasn't anywhere to be found until he came out to sort of fuss at the rest of lucha house party for choosing matt riddle you know for this match and everything instead of choosing him and they were fighting in this match and the baby faces of course took a early lead and then when we came back from commercial you saw king corbin and nakamura and cesaro take advantage you know of the pace of the match then grand metalik hit a ddt out of nowhere to give himself a chance to tag in matt riddle since lince dorado had already been knocked off of the apron by cesaro and something that i love watch, watching cesaro do is his uppercuts because they are so vicious looking like whenever he performs one of those things they make it look like his shoulders are like boulder shoulders and they'll knock your jaw off so that was really cool to see and then they all went on a rampage and started fighting each other all at once and then matt riddle almost won the match with a running knee before nakamura broke up the pin and then cesaro tagged in and knocked matt riddle's head off with an uppercut yet again with a two count and everyone started fighting once again but then Kalisto tried to help he ended up hitting 
hitting um, Lince Dorado in the face with a kick, which sort of, you know, adds to more of the Lucha, Lucha House Party's problems. And then Matt Riddle wound up grabbing Cesaro for the bro Derek to get his pin for the team. So he's bounced back from his loss from last week. And then Kalisto congratulated Matt Riddle. But then Lince Dorado got into a shoving match with them after the miscommunication. Which basically just beefs up the idea that they are bound to break up at some point. I don't know who's going to turn heel on who. But I really feel like it's going to be Kalisto. And it's just going to be, you know, pretty heartbreaking. But at the same time, it's whatever. Um... The tag team division needs serious help because they keep breaking up everybody. <laughs> then we had Jeff Hardy versus Sami Zayn for the Intercontinental title. And this basically was the main event of SmackDown. And Sami Zayn took it upon himself to throw one of the Intercontinental Championships in the trash can. Um, because he was mad that everybody, you know didn't consider him the official intercontinental championship after he took his break after wrestlemania you didn't see him anymore but then they stripped him of the title and then aj styles held it for a while and then jeff hardy held it for a while and he just took that belt and threw it away to basically prove that he was the undisputed intercontinental championship champion and then he went out and wrestled this match against Jeff Hardy with his ribs taped up and his shoulders taped up, you know, from that ladder match he participated in a Clash of Champions, which I definitely recommend because it was good story-wise and action-wise too. And they were selling their injuries because, of course, Jeff Hardy is still struggling with his left knee injury and stuff. And um, this match was pretty good. They were fighting back with lots of punches Sami Zayn attempted a leapfrog, but then Jeff Hardy drop kicked him out of the air. Um, Jeff Hardy built up some momentum, but then Sami Zayn kept finding ways to turn the tide in his favor again because he's a crafty person. And then um, we returned from a commercial break, and then Sami Zayn leveled Jeff Hardy with a clothesline for a quick two count. But then he kept the upper hand for a long time, but then he was unable to keep Jeff Hardy down because we don't ever give up Hardy gang, Hardy gang. Um... And then Jeff Hardy countered him on the top rope and then hit a superplex. And then after a brief exchange, Sammy and Jeff Hardy went into the corner with an exploded suplex. And then Sammy Zayn had taken the pad off of the turnbuckle in the ring. And as they kept fighting around it, they kept fighting not to hit their head into it until finally Jeff Hardy um, tried to do a whisper in the wind after Sami Zayn blocked a swanton bomb and as he tried to do his whisper in the wind um Sami Zayn tripped him up so his head hit the exposed turnbuckle and then Sami Zayn covered him to retain the intercontinental championship so basically I guess this is Jeff Hardy sort of falling down the line for the intercontinental championship um opportunities and Sami Zayn sort of you know showing himself as the great competitor that he is and the crafty competitor that he is, you know, to use underhanded tactics to stay champion. So who knows who's next in line for the IC title at this point. But this program was still pretty good. And then with AJ Styles, you know, being out of that picture and with him sort of losing to Jey Uso, who knows what's going to happen with that as well. So that's pretty much all that happened on SmackDown. And now we're going to recap um, NXT TakeOver. Okay, so 
Now I'm going to recap NXT TakeOver 31 that took place on tonight. It was hailing from the all-new Capital Wrestling Center in Orlando, Florida, which I guess from now on is going to serve as NXT's Thunderdome, as you can imagine, because they also had fans there, you know, on the screen like they do for Raw and SmackDown's Thunderdome. But then they also had regular fans there along with WWE NXT superstars in the audience as well. They were being blocked by plexiglass and chains, and they also had, you know, different pods for a lot of the fans who were wearing masks in there as well they named it the capital wrestling center after the capital wrestling corporation which was the predecessor to wwe that was founded by vincent j mcmahon and before nxt takeover started they sort of showed different clips of older wrestlers of yesteryear who participated in capital wrestling corporation before it became wwe as we know it so this is them sort of paying tribute to the past and how the past just sort of informs the future and shows the older generation and how it always informs the past so that was really cool they showed a quote um by vince mcmahon um, in 1977 he said you're looking at some of the most remarkable athletes in the world today professional wrestlers are a rare breed of athlete possessing gargantuan proportions enormous strengths unique coordination and agility a high threshold of physical tolerance pulverizing power and the ability to withstand the rigors of one of the most taxing sports known to man professional wrestling so don't you ever say that wrestling's not a sport and takeover is definitely proof that it always is one and they've included nxc's initials in it to sort of you know insinuate the idea that the past always informs the future so we're gonna start with the women like we always do and this was hot fire you had Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae for the NXT Women's Championship and during their entrances especially during Io Shirai's entrance um, Beth Phoenix the Hall of Famer um, noted that Shirai is Japanese for purple thunder and there was a lot of action between the two you had Candice LeRae basically healing it up and in front of the referee and in front of Io Shirai mocking and doing all kinds of things Io Shirai hit a hip toss to Candice LeRae Io was stomping and hit both knees into Candace. Um, Candace who was hit hit a backstabber using the ropes for leverage and that was really vicious looking and then she locked arms and then slammed EO, slammed EO into a near fall and then Candace Ray was yelled there was a point where she was yelling at the referee when the referee was telling her get Io Shirai out of the corner she was like out of the corner all right and then she would toss her into another corner in order to beat her up again and then Candice Ray hit a suplex into a near fall then Io stomped into Candace's ribs after a backflip and then Io Shirai was able to hit a 619 and a missile drop kick to a near fall and then they then there was one spot that was really cool where they hit suplexes on one another you know back and forth and then eo hit a cross face and then candace LeRae reversed the cross face onto eo and eo almost looked like she was going to tap out but she didn't then candace LeRae hit the referee which i thought was really crazy you know when he was telling her to break up the cross face and eo shirai had made it to the bottom rope and she smacked the referee in the face and then he basically was trying to recover from it and then there was another point where eo knocked the referee out because Candace had pushed her away and then Johnny Gargano came out you know with a referee shirt and then tried to basically Bailey and Sasha Banks the whole match because Candace you know decided to cover decided to cover EO and then there wasn't a ref so Johnny came out to be the ref 
and he tried to do a fast count one two three but eo kicked out in time and then they were fussing back and forth at each other but then candace tried to cheat and it just didn't work it was just so many shenanigans going on she tried to cheat but then eo wound up retaining the women's championship after so many shenanigans and then and then after also fighting through candace hitting eo shirai in the face with a with the um nxt women's title and she wound up winning with her moonsault moonsault so this was a really good match from the both of them i was equally proud of candace LeRae and showing more of her aggressive side here and doing more heel work than she has you know really um done on television of course with her hurting tegan knox and causing her acl injury and all of the above it just seems like she tapped into more of her vicious side in this match but eo shirai retained then after eo shirai retained Tony Storm showed up on one of the screens where the audience is and she basically said that she was going to come back. She congratulated EO for winning, but she said that she was officially going to come back to NXT and then everyone will realize that realize why it's Tony time and then she put on her sunglasses and the screen went out. And then the other screen in the front showed a green screen with a backstage camera and it showed someone riding on a motorcycle and then after that we saw someone walk in with these green pants and this helmet on and then finally they took the helmet off and it was revealed to be a returning ember moon and boy was i really happy she came back with a new haircut and a new attitude and y'all i'm just so happy that she's healed from her injury because she injured her achilles tendon and that's a really big deal and it was almost looking like a lot of people were saying oh it's life-threatening and she's not well not life-threatening i'm sorry y'all like it's career threatening and she wasn't going to come back and she wasn't going to be able to wrestle and she was gone for almost a year so now to see her back and to see her back in nxt and not necessarily raw or smackdown is amazing it's like the NXT women's division has like two shots in the arm now with Io Shirai possibly being able to face either Tony or Ember Moon. So this is going to be really cool. This was an amazing showing of its women's division and I'm just really pumped. So Io is still your champion, but we got a lot more to cover. So with the men, <laughs> the takeover event started with the Johnny Gargano um Damian Priest match for the NXT North American Championship and Damian Priest had new um Titantron graphics full of fire and everything and that was cool to see and then something that kind of bummed me out was when Johnny Gargano came out it's just like it made me miss his old theme song and his theme song kind of had this intro where it sounded like people clapping but then it sort of slow then his new theme song sort of starts and it starts off slow and it makes me sad because it just makes me miss his old song but he's not a, the rebel heart or johnny gargano anymore so i guess it'll be okay um <laughs> and commentary also noted vic joseph noted that johnny gargano has participated in more um takeover matches than damian priest and they lauded him for his consistency and his highly rated matches um which is true because he calls himself johnny takeover due to the fact that um when it comes to his athleticism and his consistency in those matches he always delivers incredibly well whether he wins or loses so everyone was thinking that maybe he would have more of the advantage in terms of a takeover and considering this is damian's i believe second title defense um he was sort of coming in new so 
that was what we were dealing with. And the match started with lots of quick moves and punches until Damian Priest attacked with a roundhouse kick. And then Damian Priest, you know, was able to take advantage of um, Johnny Gargano's quickness with size and power. And he was trying to use his strikes to sort of take out and slow down Johnny Gargano because he moves incredibly fast in the ring. And then somehow or another, Johnny Gargano tangled Damian Priest in the middle rope and gave him a flying headbutt along with some kicks. And then Johnny Gargano hit, um, hit a lot of his submission work. But then Damian Priest fought out, you know, in pain with his left knee and with his left knee and leg. And then commentary also noted that Damian Priest is like six foot seven. And I thought that was interesting to kind of think about. Like, basically, if I were to meet him, he'd be standing head and shoulders above me. But that's besides the point. Um, I love tall people, but it's just the idea like, whoa, like you are really tall. Um, then Johnny Gargano reversed his razor's edge move into a slam and a pinfall attempt. And then um, Johnny Gargano, then Johnny Gargano wound up getting hit with a razor's edge onto the ring apron which they say is definitely the hardest part of the ring and then he tried then he hit a standing sliced bread and then and then tried well i think what happened was i think damian priest was trying to hit the reckoning but then johnny gargano countered it with a standing sliced bread and that was really cool and then Johnny Gargano mocked Damian Priest's arrow move that he does in the corner of the ring when he's getting ready to hit or kick someone. But then Damian Priest choke slammed him and Johnny still, you know, kicked out because he just doesn't like to give up ever. Then Damian Priest did a, a flipped suicide dive onto security because Johnny Gargano moved them in, in the way. And then while the referee was distracted, he hit a low blow onto Damian Priest and a super kick, but then Damian Priest still kicked out. Then Johnny Gargano locked in the Gargano escape as and then Damian Priest wiggled towards the bottom rope and escaped. And then he hit the reckoning to end the match and Damian Priest wound up retaining his NXT North American Championship. This was a hard fought match. And I know a lot of people online were sort of thinking that maybe this was Johnny Gargano's time to win the title along with Candice LeRae winning the NXT women's title so they could be like the first husband and wife duo to win those titles back to back. But I guess now just isn't their time to, you know, prevail as those evil heels that, you know, can possibly win. And I'm glad that Damian Priest won because it feels like he just got it. So it wouldn't have made that much sense for him to lose right here and now. But it was definitely hard fought and it was definitely a good match. Then we had Kushido versus Velveteen Dream. And Kushida was out to sort of, you know, show his rage and his edge that he has now and he's seeking to prove himself. Whereas Velveteen Dream sort of feels that the spotlight will probably ultimately undo Kushida because he's just not used to it. So Velveteen Dream came out in the outfit and it looked like a and it looked like he was dressed as a mad scientist, but then Vic Joseph and Beth Phoenix kind of, you know, reiterate the fact that he was dressed up like the doctor from Back to the Future. And I thought that was really interesting because he had his hair, you know, dyed gray and he had the pants and the radioactive gloves and everything. So I didn't immediately notice it until they said so, because I really never saw Back to the Future. I've only seen it like in passing. So I thought that was a really cool concept to try to get in the head of Kushida, who comes out and sort of dresses like Marty McFly. And it's just 
he was doing that to try to get in his head. But then before Velveteen Dream was able to finish his entire entrance, Kushida beat the crap out of Velveteen Dream. And he was twisting Velveteen Dream's left arm and then he backflipped into Dream. And then Kushida locked both arms into, into his legs. And there was like major body manipulation here. Like it was really kind of heart-wrenching and cringy to look at because it was almost like Kushida was just trying to break both of his arms off of his body. It was bad. And then there was a point where Velveteen Dream actually had the advantage and he kept screaming, get up, Marty, get up, Marty, you know, to, to mock him. And then he um, did a Bronco Buster in Kushida's face and rubbed it in his face and said, you can boo me now. And he's just really healing up this this um, thing um, and his entire character. He's just really healing it up. And then the commentary um, table was basically saying, you know, you could tell that Velveteen Dream is really focused and he is really good when he isn't focused on outside things. It's almost like they're insinuating the fact they're playing into the idea of Velveteen Dream's, you know, troubles while also watching him sort of fight in the ring. And it makes me wonder, you know, what if there's a, a background story behind that? So behind the scenes, we just don't really know exactly what's going on with Velveteen Dream and how they feel about him at this point but i thought it was funny that they kept mentioning his outside stuff while this match was going on then kushida tried for a backflip but then velveteen dream locked in a sleeper hold on him but then kushida stomped velveteen dream while holding his arms and then he pulled velveteen dream into the ring post multiple times as dream kept begging and saying i'm sorry i'm sorry but then he just kept you know wrecking his arms and then kushida kicked the steel steps into velveteen dream's hand and that was really rough to see too it was almost like he was just trying to just destroy him then velveteen dream goes went for the purple rainmaker but then kushida locked in an arm bar as velveteen dream you know moved toward the rope and then he hit another arm bar and then velveteen dream hit, tried to hit the purple rainmaker again but then he couldn't capitalize on that finisher due to his injured arms and then he got up and then screamed out dream over call your mama and tell her about it at the audience and then kushida locked in the hoverboard lock from the top rope and then clinched it in as Velveteen Dream tried to hit everything including his fireman's carry to get loose from it but his injured arms just wouldn't let him let him finish the job and he wound up tapping out so Kushida won this hard-fought match against an NXT you know standard at this point in Velveteen Dream and as he was celebrating a little bit with the ref throwing up his hands he went back to punish Velveteen Dream even more and basically tried to wreck his arms some more and that was just really rough to see and the referees basically told him to back up and get away but then he went back to beat up velveteen dream even more and it was just really rough so at this stage i guess kushida's healed now with a question mark heal with a question mark i don't know um then at this point they announced that nxc is going to have a halloween havoc episode on wednesday october the 28th and it's going to be hosted by shotzi blackheart and of course if you are abreast in your wrestling history you know halloween havoc was a pay-per-view that was held by wcw and since wwe owns wcw since they bought it a long time ago they get to use anything that wcw has so now halloween havoc is now going to be an episode um of nxt on the 28th which is the wednesday before halloween and i'm and honestly what i'm hoping is the fact they just get that giant pumpkin 
because for some reason I just really like the idea of that giant pumpkin that said Halloween Havoc when I was a child and I hope they use it and it'll be really cool and I think Shotzi Blackheart is probably the right person to host it because she even though she has green hair and she's a spitfire she also looks like she could be a gothic scary person so that's gonna be really cool to see then we had Santos Escobar versus Isaiah Swerve Scott for the Cruiserweight Championship and something that commentary um, noted was the fact that Swerve um, has has a boatload of knowledge as a lucha wrestler as well. And I had no clue that he, you know, had that type of background. And I thought that was cool because that basically means that he could, would be well evenly matched against somebody like Santos Escobar. Man, this match was really good. So Santos came out dressed um, in traditional Mexican wear with a sombrero and a jacket and then with a lucha mask as well and he came out with Raul Mendoza and um Raul Mendoza and I'm having a brain blip I can't remember the other guy's name and Joaquin Phoenix no not Joaquin Phoenix Joaquin Wild oh my god and they came out and then they wound up going backstage you know to leave to leave Santos Escobar to face Swerve by himself, as we thought. And something that I noticed during this match was the fact that Swerve has the agility of a cat. It was almost like for every move that Santos was doing on Swerve, he was always landing on his feet and not, you know, letting himself, you know, get hit and get knocked down at all they were well evenly matched and i thought that was really cool and another impressive part of this match was um swerve's corkscrew moonsaults that he kept hitting on santos escobar and something that wade barrett kept saying was the fact that since he had since swerve had pinned santos escobar two other times um before this takeover that he should just do what works but honestly, I just think Swerve was just trying to prove that he was just as good, if not better, than Santos Escobar, and he deserved to be champion, which means he had to pull a whole lot more out of his bag. And Swerve was working the arm of Santos Escobar um, with a submission. And then another impressive part of this match was Santos's um, Frankensteiner on Swerve. And then Santos threatened to spit in Swerve's face after that point, but then he was stopped with a flurry of punches and uppercuts. And I was so glad that Swerve did that because I feel like the ultimate sign of disrespect is when you spit in somebody's face. I don't care how much you don't like a person. If you spit in their face, it's like you're relegating them to nothing. And that's just really gross. You spit on the ground. You spit in the toilet. You do not spit on a person. Just know that if you ever try to spit on me, I will slap you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to get that out. Like I, I, that just angers me to a to a very bad degree. Don't spit on people. Anyway, <laughs> then Swerve countered with a DDT from the top rope, and then Swerve kicked out after getting distracted by Legado del Fantasma. But then to even up the odds, Asante Adonis came out for the assist to Swerve. And I thought that was really cool that he had somebody on his side to sort of, you know, take up for him and not just have, you know, just three on one like that. And so I appreciated that. And then Santos Escobar hit a Phantom Driver finisher, but then Swerve kicked out. And usually the Phantom Driver ends those matches, but it actually didn't in that case. And he was looking kind of shocked. 
And then Santos Escobar, you know, knocked Swerve down and then hit the three amigos on him to pay tribute to Eddie Guerrero. And then he tried for the Eddie Guerrero frog splash, but then Swerve moved out of the way. So um, then he hit his last call kick and then he and then he hit a flip onto Santos, you know, for a near fall, much to the surprise and chagrin of Swerve, because he was wondering what else would he have to do in order to beat him. And then Swerve ran into the ring post somehow. He hit his head into the ring post as Santos pushed him off. And then he was able to hit him with the Phantom Driver in order to retain the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. I'm not going to lie. This broke my heart a little bit because I wanted swerve to win because if he's the only person who's been able to pin santos escobar clean twice then why not give him the title but then you can't necessarily feel that bad for swerve either because now they sort of announced online this week this past week that he's supposed to be going to smackdown as a draft pick because they were starting that early so here's hoping that he goes on to bigger and better things on smackdown but that match was really good though so um happy trails to swerve and here's hoping that somebody can take down that dastardly santos escobar then we are at the main event with finn balor versus kyle o'reilly for the nxt championship kyle o'reilly um tried his level best in this match and they beat the crap out of each other here um when they were showing a clip clips of kyle o'reilly you know in his past wrestling career on the indie circuit um something that i thought was really funny was the fact that he was announced as the ambassador of kick Aceter. i thought that was really funny because i'm just like out of all the names you you know they announced him as that but it made sense and it sounded like something kyle o'reilly made up on his own because he's a pretty funny guy but he wasn't you know smiling or playing any games here of course during his entrance he did the whole guitar thing that he likes to do for his undisputed era entrance but he was all serious when he got in that ring though and the match sort of started with finn balor sort of scouting um kyle o'reilly's style that he likes to begin with where he sort of hop it looks like he's sort of hopping around kind of like eddie guru from um tekken 7 if you have if you know anything about the tekken series um and kyle and finn balor just had it scouted at first and so they were basically you know you know trying to lock one another up and then kyle o'reilly was able to manipulate finn's shoulder and elbow with joint manipulation and then finn was countering with kicks and then he hit a drop kick in kyle's face and then finn balor kept stomping on kyle's arm and then he began to try to submit him and mock his guitar move in the corner of the ring then finn hit a hammerlock submission while driving his knee into kyle's shoulder and then kyle was kicking and striking um finn multiple times in order to sort of teach him a lesson and then kyle hit this this amazing set of double underhook suplexes that i had really never seen before or at least i can't recall ever having seen it before as i've been watching wrestling and it was really cool to see that that was an amazing spot and then um kyle looked winded after finn hit him with a spinning kick into his ribs or his liver and then he fell down and it was almost kind of looking like he was questioning whether or not he should continue the match because he got hit with that move like it was really scary for a second because the referee was asking him do you you know do you want to continue but i'm assuming he was saying yes because he just laid there and he didn't necessarily say he wanted to give up so he just kept going in the match 
And he just kept looking winded, you know, after that kick happened. So then Finn took advantage and threw him into the turnbuckle. And then he continued to work on the midsection that was, you know, injuring and giving Kyle Kyle O'Reilly some problems. But like I said, Kyle refused to give up as Finn, you know, was trying to submit him with a camel clutch variation. Then Kyle O'Reilly, you know, kept favoring his rib, you know, throughout the entire match, but he just kept not giving up. And then he hit a drop kick onto Finn's lower legs to try to, you know, injure him there. Then Kyle um, hit a, well, he reversed the abdominal stretch that Finn was doing, but then Finn reversed it into a sharpshooter. And Kyle at this point had a bloody mouth. And I don't really know what happened to him to make his mouth bleed like that, but it was kind of scary looking. Um, and Kyle O'Reilly crawled to the bottom rope for sanctuary. Then Finn kicked Kyle while he was down. He just kept stomping on him and kept kicking him while he was underneath the ropes as if, you know, to say, you know, just stay down because for everything that Finn was doing, it was like Kyle just kept meeting him back with that much intensity afterward. And then they decided to strike each other up with a whole bunch of kicks and punches. Then Kyle O'Reilly kicked Finn in the chest and then he tried to use his legs to break Finn's um, preventative lock to do an arm bar. And then Finn hit the 1916 after he got loose, but then Kyle kicked out of that. And usually that's the end of a match if he hits the 1916 lately, but Kyle refused to give up. And then Finn climbed to the top rope, but then Kyle kicked him down off of the rope and then hooked his legs. And then he flew into the chest of Finn. And then he locked the knee bar onto Finn, but then got to the bottom, but then Finn got to the bottom rope to break the hole. And as he was in pain, Finn delivered the stomps onto Kyle and then Kyle scouted it and then hit a suplex onto Finn. And then Finn hit the coup de grace finally from the top rope to retain his title. And that match was brutal. It was absolutely brutal, but they gave their absolute best in this match. And Kyle O'Reilly has nothing to be ashamed of. He absolutely did his very best to win that title, but it just wasn't his time yet. But um, something intriguing happened. Um, Finn Balor was actually able to give him respect. He helped him up um, as he was laying in the ring and watching Finn celebrate. And Finn just, you know, walked over to him and helped him up or whatever, gave him a sign of respect. And then Kyle O'Reilly looks to the side and then you see Ridge Holland in the audience carrying a beaten Adam Cole over his shoulder. And then he threw him over onto the floor. And then Kyle, you know, ran to Adam Cole's aid and was like, yo, what happened? What happened? And then the other two members of the Undisputed Era, Roderick Strong and um, Bobby Fish came out to his aid and asked, what happened? Where were you guys? What happened? And nobody knew what what happened, but it's safe to assume that Ridge Holland basically beat the crap out of Adam Cole somewhere and then just carried him out to sort of prove a point. So now we have this feud going on between the Undisputed Era and also Adam Cole by extension and Ridge Holland. So, and even Finn Balor looked a little bit concerned with what happened. And then that's where NXT TakeOver 31 ended. So this was an amazing takeover as they always are. And now we're gonna go to the conclusion. Okay, so thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Um, if you want to follow me, just know you can follow me on Instagram at Hardy Wrestling Podcast and follow me on Twitter at Hardy Wrestle Pod. 
and follow me on Facebook at Hardy Wrestling with Stephanie Hardy. And also remember that I'm selling t-shirts for $20. They've got my um, slogan on here for chill, positive, and passionate on the front. And on the back, you have the um, acronym for Hardy Wrestling Podcast, HWP. And they come in the colors of black and black or white. And you could get them in sizes small to extra large. Or if you need larger sizes, please let me know. And if you want to pay um, the $20 for the t-shirts, you could just um, pay me on Cash App. Um, and it's cash tag stephanie hardy four um i hope you're having a fantastic weekend and have even an, an even greater week and i hope you are being your best selves and just being your best positive loving selves and continue to stay safe you know in the midst of all of what's going on and also just remember to be the light in the world because there's so much darkness going on you know so just be the light um And until then, you know, I'll see you next week for our 30th episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. And until next time, bye, y'all.